Hello, everyone. I'm Kate Wheeler here with Christine Bentley, and you are listening to What She Said. Well, how many of us consider ourselves wealthy? And when we say that term, are we referring to money only? Author Chris Clark isn't. She explores how wealth is much more in her book, True Family Wealth, Love, Money, and an Inspired Life. And she's giving away copies uh, to our listeners. You can find out all about that contest on our website, whatshesaidtalk.com. Now, what do you do if your child is injured at a daycare? McLeish Orlando partner Kate Mazuko will be discussing daycare negligence and the laws governing daycare facilities in Ontario. Our very own musicologist Eric Elper will be joining us in On the Record and chatting about all things blue. Now, not in a down way. But you'll see songs which include or are centered around the color blue. And from blue to pink, there are quite literally millions of us suffering from skin conditions like rosacea, conditions that so undermine our self-confidence as to sometimes cause indelible psychological damage. And also joining us this evening, an award-winning makeup artist, Cheryl Gushu. And she has a handful of ego-boosting tips to make the scars of rosacea and acne virtually disappear. And I'm dying to hear about this. Now, one of the biggest costs of raising a child is education. Don't we all know that? Yep. Mm -hmm. Now, a VP of community banking from Meridian, Delista Cruz, is going to join us to run through how to pay for your child's education and understanding exactly what RESPs are. Canadian musician David Bray stops by our live studio sessions to talk about his new album and how overcoming colon cancer last year gave him a brand new look at life. Now, I mentioned our website. You'll want to go there because Disney and What She Said are giving away two Blu-ray DVD copies of Beauty and the Beast. If you love the film, there's tons of bonus features, including a feature on the amazing women behind the Enchanted Tale. It's hosted by Emma Watson. Just go to whatshesaidtalk.com to enter. When we come back, a conversation about wealth, what we think it is, and maybe what it should be instead. This is What She Said. Stay with us. Well, wealth, what does it mean to each of us? Is it only money or is it something entirely different, a combination of all things? Joining us this evening is the author of a book called True Family Wealth, Love, Money and an Inspired Life. Chris Clark, welcome to What She Said. Well, thank you very much for having me. So you're a seasoned money manager and yet yet you maintain that accumulating money should not be our ultimate goal. Is money not wealth in your eyes? It is absolutely part of wealth. But isn't wealth really more about what we treasure most in life and having an abundance of that? So if I were to summarize it, I would mm-hmm. say that true wealth is every member of the family living the life that they love with the resources to support their choices. And money's part of that. Yeah, I, I know people who say money would be wealth because with money, they could buy experiences with their families. They could you know, buy them homes, they could, they could make them happy, they could spend time with them. They, um, but to you, that's not the whole Monty. That's not the whole picture because I see money as a form of energy. Money is a tool that we use to create. And it's a, a tool to have the experiences that we want. But everyone's money experience is different. Everyone's relationship with money is different. But what's really at the core is our relationship with ourselves and with each other. That's where true fulfillment comes. Uh, do you find that it's 
that too many people value money too much absolutely. at the expense of other things? Yes, absolutely. We are a society that uh, is really driven by accumulating money. And I think that the reason behind that is because we've identified money as security. If we just had more of it, we'd feel safer. We'd feel better. But the reality is, is that, as I said before, money is just a tool of exchange at its core element. That sense of security comes from it within you from knowing who you are, what you're here to do, and living that passion daily, regardless of the risks. So do you, do you think we have a dysfunctional relationship with money? I absolutely do think that, yes. And we have not only a dysfunctional relationship with money, but we have a dysfunctional relationship with each other and with ourselves as well. So what I'm proposing in the, in the, in the book through the family treasury process is that we apply some of the best practices that businesses use to create wealth, to deliver a service that the world needs, and to bring a team of people together to work together constructively and collaboratively, sort of like in an unemotional, non-dysfunctional manner, and that the same sort of principles can be deployed in the family dynamic to do the same thing. Okay, well, set the scenario for us. The family is sitting around the table. Go. All right. (laughs) I would suggest that the place to start, because this is a journey. The family treasury process is a journey. But the place to start, I would suggest, is with a family roundtable meeting. And in the family roundtable meeting, you can start with a fun exercise that I outline in the book, which is all about helping people to understand what their unique nature and purpose is. And from that, they can um, celebrate um, uh, designing a path of wealth creation for each member of the family that works with their unique talents. And another interesting aspect about that process is when you go through that exercise, you can also discover that the family also has a unique mission in itself, a collective vision that they can have that unites them as a family together. And that's where the support system comes from to help each individual reach their own ultimate dreams and goals. There there might be... It sounds wonderful to me. Yeah. Well, let me play yeah. the devil's advocate. I mean, it, it, it sounds like you've you've got to have started with money to get right. to where to even get to where you are now. I mean, if you're right. worried about yeah. putting the food on the table right. and paying the rent right. and educating your children, yeah. paying their university bills, right. how do you get past all that? So I would say two things. You don't get past it. You work through it. Okay. But what I would say is two things. Again, back to the best business practices. Most businesses, in fact, all businesses, start with nothing, right? But they have a great vision. They have a service that they want to to deliver, and they build a team around them to support that process. Nobody makes it in business on their own, right? It's a team exercise. So in the family dynamic, I believe that every single one of us is a wealth creator. We are, I will give you this, we are all on different points on that path, Right? Some have learned to work with that resource more than others. And we all have different levels of awareness about money. So one of the um, objectives, perhaps, for that first family treasury meeting might be about financial literacy, learning about this energy thing that I call money, how to work with it. Because honestly, how can you have money if you don't know how to work with it? Well, continuing with playing the devil's advocate, yes. um, as Kate's saying, I think when you when survival is on the table, right. bare right. bones survival, yeah. nobody is going to be interested in talking about how they can support everybody else's dream because it's simply a matter of how do I survive. Right, right. And that 
in that situation, isn't the dream about survival? Mm-hmm. Isn't it about having healthy food on the table? Isn't it about education and being able to educate every member of the family? And my suggestion is is that collective minds working together as a unit are going to have a better chance of successfully resolving some of those challenges than each individual trying to do it on their own. We have this 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 um, cultural uh, norm is in in the Western society that we should all be able to do it all on our own, be independent, get up there, go out there, and, and go it alone. I really believe, I think it's that African um, saying uh, that says that, you know, if you, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Well, I think you're probably right when you look at many European families culturally. Right. They, they all get together and, and, and it's a family. The, the, the family owns a car and there are 20 members of the family and they all, exactly. they all use exactly. the car, yes. that kind of thing. Yes, exactly. So yeah, yeah. do you and think that's it not makes a concept them- that we have here in Western society? So do you think perhaps survival being the goal might might pull a family together Absolutely. more than something else? I think that's that particular family's goal. Another particular family could have a completely different one because they may have more of the monetary resources but than another family would, but that family you described, they may have better relationships with each other, more loving, respectful relationships with each other than many families that have a lot of money. So it's, it's how best to use the resources that you have and learn to further develop and celebrate those. So how did you, uh, how did you do this with your family? How did you start? Uh, we started fairly young with the family, and I will say that this book is accumulation of the experiences that we've been through because we, like every other family on the planet, can be as dysfunctional as anybody else. <laughs> so it's been going through those processes and as business owners, using the tools and strategies that I learned about creating a sustainable, healthy business that we used to navigate through the difficulties and challenges that our family dealt with. And we certainly dealt with some pretty serious, significant challenges. And we are here out the other side of have three 20-year-old something, you know, children and still married to the same man that I had when I, I met when I was 16. And I would say that the number one tool that has helped us be successful is open, honest communication. Communicate, communicate, communicate. But secondly was, as I said before, we understand what it is to be a member of our family, what we are about, what our unique identity is. And it's through that strength and support and that value system that we've been able to come together as a team and support each member of the family as they stretch themselves to reach their personal goals and potentials. And does that continue indefinitely? Absolutely. In fact, I hope it's a generational thing. And the family treasury process that I recommend is all about keeping an inventory of those treasures that you and family have built together and passing them on to the next generation in a healthy, sustainable way. Now, you are kindly giving uh, two books away to uh, the followers of what she said, so they will be able to find out how they can get a copy on our website. But do you have a website if people want to connect with you? I do, yes. We have – it's for the book. It's called truefamilywealth.ca, and you can also find us on Facebook. And, of course, the uh, tips and strategies that we've talked about can all be found in there. They are. There is a blog on there. There's lots more, yes. And uh, certainly uh, the book is a more in-depth experience of the process, but there are some tips and strategies talked about in the the blogs. Chris Clark, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It was fun. This is what she said. Stay with us. 
teach your children well. Their father's hell did slowly. Many people are still talking about a tragic court case involving the death of a two year old girl, Eva Ravakovich, who died in horrific circumstances in daycare. This has many parents thinking about how far the law goes in protecting their children against negligence. And joining us this evening is McLeish Orlando's Kate Mazuko to enlighten us all. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you very much for having me. Kate, what is considered daycare negligence? So negligence as an, as an area of law is any time that there is an individual who owes a duty to another individual – and in their actions, their conduct, and in, in the way they interact with that inter- individual, if it falls below the standard of care expected of them, and that action or conduct causes an injury, then that would be deemed negligence. So, in the daycare setting, when a child is in the care of a daycare, in the care of a daycare provider, okay, someone providing those services, well, clearly there's a relationship there, and that daycare provider owes that child. Um, is responsible for that child and owes them, you know, the, the, the duty they have is to act responsibly and, and, and standards that would be expected of someone in that situation. Well, okay? in this particular case, this was pretty overt. This was a pretty obvious. Absolutely. Maybe you can just quickly go over it for anybody who sure. maybe has not been up to speed. So in this tragic case, it was a, a, a two-year-old girl who had been picked up by the daycare provider. It was a service that was offered by this particular daycare provider and picked up along with other children. And when they arrived at the actual daycare home, all the children were taken out of the vehicle except for young Eva. And tragically, Eva was left in the car on a hot summer day for the entire duration of the day. I think the uh, the evidence has come out that it was around 9.30 that they arrived at the home, and it wasn't until after 5 that she was discovered. Now, the issue here is that this daycare had 35 children in its care. Clearly, far too many children to be able to safely monitor, uh, which is why the government has in place caps uh, for the number of children that can be in a daycare for both licensed and unlicensed daycares. Okay, so let's talk about licensed and uh, and unlicensed daycare. So in the case, in either case, who would you actually sue? Who would you take to court? So when a child is placed, whether it be in an unlicensed daycare or a daycare, you're going to sue the daycare Um, You're going to sue any of their employees. Um, And in some cases, you may be suing other individuals or institutions. So Mm -hmm. um, in Eva's case, uh, that's actually a case that's with our law firm, uh, we've also sued the Ministry of Education, and that's the ministry that oversees daycares in Ontario. And um, that relates to evidence that has come out about complaints being made about this particular daycare and the fact that the ministry did not, on most occasions, even follow up with the complaints or do any investigations. And the one time they did, they sent a letter saying, you're not complying with the, the act. Um, you've got too many children. Um, but there was no follow through. There were five complaints against There were five complaints. There were five complaints. That's correct. And one investigation, one letter sent, but that was it. And of course, the parents would not have known any of this. Well, especially in this situation where they're offering, you know, a, a drop-off or a pick-up and drop-off type of service in addition to the daycare service, it makes it very difficult. Um, and, and I think that it was set up in a way um, that very much that information was concealed. Are licensed child care centers allowed to care for m- more children than unlicensed? 
ones? Licensed, uh, yes. So you can, all this information is available online, and I think it's important to check. And there's different yes. categories of daycares. But generally, a licensed daycare can, can care up for up to six children under the age of 13. Uh, but they have to factor in. There's certain conditions regarding if, if you're caring for their own child um, in that uh, setup, that has to also be factored in. Your, your child does count in terms of doing the overall count. And they look at things like how many children are under at the age of two. I just am wondering, um, because this was a very obvious case, um, but in a case that is not so obvious, how much do the courts take into account the normal wear and tear of being a child? Because children do fall and they do hit their heads and they do mm-hmm. – and and if a situation like that happens and the daycare is sued, it's sort of – it's it, is it not a gray area? How, as a lawyer, tell us how the courts look at it, how lawyers look at it. Sure. I mean, every case absolutely is going to be fact specific. So if something has happened to your child or a family member in a daycare situation, give a lawyer with experience in this area a call because they're going to have to talk through the different facts with you and examine whether or not there is, in fact, a case. So you're absolutely correct. There's no question that young children, especially toddlers, you know, they're, they're falling and bumping their heads or their knees or their hands, you know, numerous times a day sometimes, right? And that's just the reality of being a young child. Um, so you have to look at a couple things, right? So a daycare provider is not held to a standard of perfection. They're going to be held to a standard of what you would expect someone providing daycare services to however many children in their care. So if, if it's four children, what can someone in that situation and it's going to be similar to what a parent could do. What can that? Uh, what should they be doing in, to ensure that the children are reasonably safe? Okay. And as a parent, I'm a parent of two young children. I know I haven't been able to prevent every bump and fall my children have had, but it's going to be what was reasonable in the circumstances. So if an accident happens and there was no way to prevent it, you would have a difficult time making that case out against that daycare provider. Okay. There has to be something that they could have done to prevent it. Um, there has to be an indication that they fell below, again, that standard of care. And I think as a parent, you can always think, what would you have done in that situation? Was there something more that could have been done? And if there wasn't, sometimes it's an unpreventable accident. Um, and then again, even if there's a breach of a standard of care, it has to have caused the injury. So if, for instance, um, let's say there's a daycare provider and they have someone assisting them that doesn't have updated first aid certificate, Okay, and an incident happens, but the injury isn't caused at all in relation to whether how or how the first aid was carried out. Okay, that the fact that first aid was carried out or the manner in which it was carried out is not the issue. Um, The fact that someone didn't have updated first aid didn't cause the injury. So you have to go back and ask that question. So that's why really when you're speaking with the lawyer, the lawyer is going to be asking you questions um, to try to figure out whether or not in fact there was a breach of what would be expected, the the standard of care of a daycare provider, and whether or not that breach caused the injury. Um, Another example just to sort of understand causation, you know, I'll use an example for motor vehicle cases. Mm -hmm. In a case where let's say you've got someone who was struck by a vehicle, And that vehicle was traveling well in excess of the posted speed limit. You know, they're going 90 and a 50. And their evidence was, I didn't even see the posted speed limit. I was racing to go wherever because that's what I was doing. Okay, clearly the driver's negligent. But maybe you look at whether the municipality was negligent. And maybe that speed limit should have been lower than 50. It should have been a 40. 
Well, if the driver says, I paid no attention to the posted speed limit, though, and I was driving my own speed, then the fact that the municipality perhaps had the wrong posted speed limit, that didn't cause the accident, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the type of analysis that has to be done, and that's why it's very fact-specific. And that's why I think it's important that you call someone who is experienced in the area so that they can talk you through it and, and examine whether or not there's a potential case. Well, this would be a pretty sensitive area, I think, parents with their hurt children. <laughs> I can imagine that you you must uh, must be hard to say to a parent. I don't I don't think you have a case. It is absolutely, and and there are times that we have families call us, and after a very tragic incident, and sometimes we have to tell them we don't see that there is a viable case. Um, other times, it t- means that more investigative steps have to be taken to determine whether or not there's a case. Um, but certainly, there are times where people are injured and. and there is not someone who's going to be held responsible. Uh, Eva's case, uh, Eva's death sparked um, the early or accelerated, I guess, the enactment of the Child Care and Early Years Act. Do you think that act goes far enough? I think there are more, there's still more that has to be done about unlicensed daycares. Um, when the reports came out following Eva's death and investigations in terms, in terms of what's going on in our province for unlicensed daycares, more than half of the children in Ontario are in unlicensed daycares. And there's not the same oversight that there is over licensed daycares. And it really has almost created a two-tier system. You have mm-hmm. families struggling to afford daycare, struggling to find places, um, that, that, you know, get your child into a licensed daycare, there's not enough spots. I have friends that put themselves on list as soon as they find out they're pregnant and they still don't get in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very stressful situation and I don't think it has gone far enough. I think more has to be done to protect children in unlicensed daycares. Where can people connect with you if they need a good personal injury lawyer or want to consult about their rights? We've got a website, mcleisheorlando.com. You can find uh, information about the firm and myself there, and we're always happy to answer any questions and speak to people about potential claims that they may have. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This is what she said. Stay with us. Sometimes you get set back. Sometimes you get rattled. Dust off your old hat and get back in the saddle. Tough times made you strong. And as we listen to the sounds of Rise, the song about Jessica Phoenix, our equestrian, uh, joining us now is musicologist Eric Alper in On the Record. And this week he's talking about all things blue. And I thought you maybe meant blue movies, but apparently not. (laughs) (laughs) Are you over 18 to listen to this segment of the show? But no, we're talking about the color blue because a new pigment called Ying Min was discovered back in 2009 by a chemistry professor at the Oregon State University. And it was the first new blue pigment in 200 years. So Crayola is now running a contest to name their new blue crayon based on this pigment. And it got me thinking about blue today. So here are five songs that have the title blue in them. Electric Light Orchestra, Mr. Blue Sky, that's found on their album from 1977 called Out of the Blue. The song was played as a wake-up call to astronaut Christopher Ferguson on day three of STS-135, the final mission of the space shuttle Atlantis. And actually, in that song, in the final moments, there is a voice that's fed through a computer that the lyrics are often misinterpreted as Mr. Blue Sky, but it actually says, please turn me over as a note to the listener to flip the record over from side three to side four in case if you were sleeping. 
figured Baby Blue was found on their 1971 album called Straight Up, but it regained fame four decades later upon featured in the series finale of Breaking Bad, which uses that song as a tribute to the special and iconic blue crystal meth that was produced by main character Walter White. And if you ever doubted that a song on a TV show, what it does, well, right after that airing, it had an increase of 9,000% on Spotify and reached the top of the iTunes singles chart within hours wow. of that. Now, this- and so did Zale the Blue Meth. <laughs> <laughs> now, the next one, I know for sure. I muttered something underneath my breath. She studied the lines of my face. Must admit, felt a little uneasy when she bent down to tie the laces of my shoes. Tangled up in blue. I lived with them on Montague Street. It's it's the only line that I, whenever I do an impression of Bob Dylan, that's the only line that I do. Tangled up in blue. That's that's it. And you do it. That's all I do. I can't do do it. it. Tangled up in blue. That's that's it. That's the only line that I could ever do. Um, But that song, uh, Bob Dylan wrote uh, after uh, a weekend completely immersed in Joni Mitchell's Blue album. And Bob Dylan has often stated that the song took 10 years to live and two years to write. He still, (laughs) to this day, continually rewrites the lyrics. So if he ever performs this song in concert, you may not even know the words, even if you know the song. I'm just going to say that. Um, This song was um, just a massive hit around the world. And in fact, it entered the UK top 40 charts solely based on import copies from other countries. Because at the time, the band didn't even have a record label in the UK. Massive song. And I'm just going to sing Baladi. The next one, uh, Crystal Gale. Say it is untrue, and don't it make my brown eyes blue? Tell me no secrets. Tell me some lies. Crystal Gale's "Don't Give Don't no Make <laughs> Don't It Make My Brown Eyes Blue." blue it was it. written by Richard Lee, who originally wanted to give the song to Shirley Bassey, wow. but Crystal actually wanted it for herself, and despite the title. Crystal Gale herself has blue eyes, but it's not really about her. Richard has said that he wrote the song because his dog had one brown eye and one blue eye. <laughs> I thought it was all about somebody being sad. Do you have blue eyes? Do you have blue eyes? I have blue eyes. Maybe it's, a, it's written about you. Yeah, no. It's written about you. No, no. I want you to do Bob Dylan one more time. Tangled up in blue. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she says. <laughs> Thank you, Eric. You will listen to what she (laughs) says. We will chat with you. Okay. (laughs) What she (laughs) says. Eric Alper is I'm just going to redo this entire segment. Let's do it. Mr. Blue Sky. Yo. Yo. Stop it. Yo. Stop it. Eric Eric Alper is brought to you. All the time. Eric Alper is brought to you by Roar Records. Download the new single, Rise, based Rise. on the heroic story Rise. 
of Olympian and Pan Am medalist Jessica Phoenix. Well, there's not much more in the world that can deplete one's self-confidence other than bad skin. Whether it's acne or rosacea, it can lead to anxiety, all sorts of issues. That's why we are joined tonight by someone who can speak about the condition, but better still, help us make it look better. Award-winning makeup artist Cheryl Gushu. Welcome to What She Said. Hi, thank you very much. Thank you for being here. Oh, so how common is this condition, and particularly for women? Well, um, there's actually 3 million Canadians that suffer from rosacea, and the majority of those are women. So, yeah, it's it's very common, and, and I see it often with my clients, actually. What are the telltale signs? Because some people have pale skin and they get flushed, but, I mean, there must be something where you know you have it. Yeah, well, actually, there are common myths um, that uh, people with rosacea do have to deal with. And one of the things is someone might say, oh, you're flushed or, oh, you're an alcoholic or, <laughs> or you know, you, you're, um, you have uh, adult acne. There are things that actually are the telltale signs of having this redness to your skin. So it, it's capillaries that are close to the surface of the skin that cause this redness. Is it sort of swarthy? I mean, does it, is it swollen or is it just uh, um, I, red? It's not necessarily swollen, but you can have um, uh, almost like a pimple-like texture to it in a, in a severe case. But it's generally just redness and, and overall dryness in your skin. Did you suffer from this? Actually, yes. So, you know, when I was asked to speak about this, I thought perfect because who better to talk about it than someone who actually deals with it. I've had it all my life and my skin is always red. I've always had to put foundation on. And it's made me self-conscious, absolutely. Uh, and so, you know, I've learned how to deal with it in terms of being a makeup artist. Is it why you became a makeup artist? Uh, it's not why I became a makeup artist, but one of the things that I do, one of my missions is to give confidence to women. Mm -hmm. So being a makeup artist does do that for me. Well, obviously, it's psychologically damaging to many people, depending on how severe it is. What is the mission now of the Acne and Rosacea Society of Canada? Uh, the mission of the Acne Rosacea Society is to give awareness to those who suffer from rosacea, to let them know they're not alone. There's a lot of people that do suffer from it and how we can uh, combat that and what we can do to cover it up. Well, this is where we get to the good part, which is you helping with four steps to cover up rosacea. Absolutely. Well, uh, when it comes to applying makeup, I always start with a primer. Think of a canvas when you're painting it. You always put a primer on first in order for the paint to stick. Um, next, you can cover up with a little bit of green color corrector concealer. Now that uh, green is the opposite of red on the color chart, and that's why it cancels out red. Isn't that strange? Kate and I used to get um, yellow, yellow for, for red dark. marks. No, yellow for, yeah, yellow yellow is for dark. Yellow is yeah, for dark. blue. Yeah, and dark. Dark circles, under eyes. Mm -hmm. Oh, but even if I, you know, if you had a red mark or something, it's they green. would put yellow. You no, could, it's green. Te technically okay. it's green, but okay. I, I also find that if you use a foundation that has kind of um, like a, a yellow base to it, it will mm -hmm. cancel out the red. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I've skipped that medium step because you don't want to look like, you know, Instagram drag queen face. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so if, if you have rosacea, you would go in, okay, you put the primer on. Where would you get this green um, 
what is it, a color stick? Yeah, it's a, it's a color stick, color corrector. It could be in a Whatever. foundation. Would you put it all over your face You then? would just put it in the areas that you need. Um, I, use, I like to use a, a beauty blender, you know, that sponge, mm-hmm. because it gives you a more even um, consistency. Right? But more importantly is what you're doing to your skin and how you're taking care of your skin. Do most major brands put it out, like Revlon or yeah. whatever? Okay. I've seen that out there for years, actually. I haven't, actually, yeah. but okay. okay. Yeah. All right. So, so you do your primer, you do your color corrector, you do your foundation, and I've been using foundations that have skincare qualities to it as well because there are products out there that are just color and there are products out there that are skin care that actually take care of your skin too. So that has made a big difference in my skin personally. And uh, just set that with powder. Use a loose translucent powder with a big brush. The, the Less is more. So it's all in the application. The less you put on, the more – you can cover. Well, I'm looking at you and you don't look like you have a thing. Thank so you. these tips must be invaluable. Yeah, definitely. I, I think for me, switching over to more natural products, uh, making sure there's no chemicals, no harsh ingredients like alcohols, fragrances, those kind of things can cause a lot of skin sensitivities. And of course, eating clean, how you eat and drinking water. I mean, all those things affect your skin because we, our skin is our largest organ, mm-hmm. right? So everything comes out through our skin. Where can people find out more about all of this and the Acne Rosacea Society? You can go to the website. It's www.rosaceahelp.com. It's a hard word to spell. <laughs> Rosaceahelp.com. Yes. yes. And the makeup tips will oh, be sorry, there? Sorry, .ca. Oh, .ca. Okay. Yes. And, and, and yeah, it'll give you some information there. All right. Uh, so it, it's, it's, uh, the society is a national not-for-profit Organization, National right? not-for-profit organization. Okay, yes. and and they will help by providing independent, reputable, and current information on rosacea. Exactly. And how to fix it with your four steps. Exactly. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I hope that helps and uh, I hope that gives confidence to women and, and gives you some good advice. This is what she said. Stay with us. Since this is the perfect spot to learn. We all know that one of the biggest costs of raising a child is their education. That is, if you decide this is something you are, in fact, going to pay for or help pay for. And to help us understand what is involved, we are joined by Dillis DeCruz, Vice President of Community Banking for Meridian. Welcome to what she said. Thanks so much. Now, Dillis, let's start at the beginning. How early is too early and is it ever too late? Well, great question. So uh, it's never too early. So as soon as you have a baby, I would suggest opening up an RESP account, a registered education savings plan account, um, and start saving and put, put money away. However, uh, to answer the second part of your question, if uh, you haven't done that because you've got so many things to do and so many bills to pay and so many things to consider, it's never too late because the nice part about this program is is that you can get in at any point in time and you can do catch-up if you've missed a few years. So, Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. So the way this works is uh, you can get free money from the government. That's always good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we should take advantage of that. So uh, the government allows you to um, get $500 a year in a grant. Um, and so uh, it's really 20% of what you contribute to a max of 500 which works out to $2,500 a year. Mm-hmm. So if you put in 2500 a year, you get $500 to a max lifetime of $7,200. The nice thing about that is if you've had, let's say, you've just bought a house or you've had some big expenses, 
expenses and you just can't find that money to put away, you actually can catch up and put in past contributions to get that grant in. So that is really nice for people to do uh, and to know about. And the government keeps track of it. So you can phone this central number and they will tell you what your catch-up room is. So can is it just limited to parents or can grandparents – Contribute to an RESP? Yeah, so absolutely anybody can contribute to an RESP. So um, the parents should open it up and – or uh, as a matter of fact, grandparents can open it up and anybody can contribute. And so that's a nice way to do it when you think about grandparents and birthdays mm-hmm. and all the money that comes in. Anybody can contribute to the plan. Now, I have I have two for my grandchildren, but my stepdaughter also has them for them. And I've just signed over – um, you, you sign over, basically, she manages it. So mm-hmm. the money will go back to her for the first year because it's complicated how it works. You get your initial contribution the first year. Yeah. And then the interest goes to the child the second, third, and fourth year. Right, right. right. So yeah. um, I just signed it over so they can deal with her. So yeah, and that's a fantastic point because um, quite often, you know, you have a baby, you're tied for expenses or you're tight for expenses and grandparents want to help out in mm-hmm. some way and sometimes they're giving you money to put in the bank or you have christenings and all those events. And, um, you know, the, a great thing to do is have grandparents open up just like you did, Christine, open up an account and contribute to it uh, because, again, you have the benefit of the grant and you have the benefit of it being tax-free and uh, accumulating interest uh, tax-free. But you got to have the child has to have a social insurance number first. Yes. That's key. Yes. So that's a matter of applying for it right away, mm-hmm. uh, which you can do. And once you get that number, you're good to go. Um, most people don't understand how much it costs anymore to, to, you know, to educate a child. Let's say four years. Is that sort of the average? What is the estimate, the current estimate? Yeah. So uh, I'm putting my son through university right now so I can speak firsthand. But, um, you know, the number can be anywhere 60000 upwards for a four-year program. And that's probably on the light side if they're not going away. I would say that if they are going away and you've got residents to pay for and food, uh, if they're renting, um, you know, it can be 80,000, at least 20,000 a year, I think, is is the number uh, if they're in residence. And goodness help and, you if they want to go to a U.S. university. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Which, which That's one it. of mine did. Oh. A three-year program crammed wow. into 12 months. Yeah. Yes. And you then feel the pain. And then an internship in New York for a year. With no money coming in. No, yeah. no. Yeah. Look at him now. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a good investment, but I'm just saying yeah. it can, if you don't, if you didn't put anything away for it, it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that, you know, again, this is a great program because you can get $7,200 in grant money. It accumulates tax free and um, it just, you know, helps you set, uh, set your kids up for success and less strain on yourself as well. Now, you know, the flip side is, is that you hope that your kids are contributing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you, you know, tell them to get that summer job to contribute. But this is a fantastic program. But what happens if they don't want to go to university when they get there? Yeah. So, I mean, there's different ways of doing it. So firstly, you can set up an individual plan. Um, and or if you have more than one child, you can set up a family plan. So if one child doesn't go, you can reallocate that money. Uh, but if they if you have one child and one um, one plan and they decide not to go, that money can be transferred uh, back. So the contributor, uh, the parent can transfer it into their RRSP um, and the grant money would get paid back or you can just cash it in. But you basically lose the grant money that was given for education purposes. Now, in the days when I bought for my children, that wasn't possible. So what if your child didn't go, they took that money and put it into a pool for kids who were then applying for a fifth year. 
Oh, okay. But so so you lost it. Uh, well, I didn't lose it because they used yeah, it, but, but I'm saying I would have. Yeah. I, I would have, but the, yeah. that was the only option at the time. But they've since it's sort of they're different things, different yeah. little twists and turns. Yeah, since this program came out, they made it actually really, really uh, quite easy and flexible for you to contribute. And in the case that they don't go, it's not like you're losing the money that you put in and the money that you've uh, gained interest on as well. It's just the grant, which is fair enough that you'd have to pay back. So Dillis, if you were giving advice to a parent, would you say over-contribute or under-contribute slightly? I under-contributed. I figured it was going to do the bulk of it, and I would top it up. But what would you suggest in today's? I would say max out on the twenty five hundred. Okay. So at minimum, get get as much as you can, get the full amount the government's yeah. going to give you, um, and max out. And um, you know, then if you want to go back and and again make more contributions, you can do that. But at minimum, try and get that twenty five hundred in. A good way to do it is also setting up preauthorized payments, right? Transfers. So again, I'm I'm a big advocate of this. Is um, you know coordinate that with your pay. If you get paid biweekly, maybe. Start off with twenty-five or fifty dollars coming off um, biweekly goes into the RESP account. It's painless, and then you can start increasing it as well. So, for somebody who is expecting a baby and thinking this is a great idea, let's take them through the steps of how to open an RESP. Yeah, so I think the first thing you want to do as soon as the baby comes is get the social insurance. But get into an advisor. You know, I'm always, again, advocating getting in to talk to a financial advisor to plan ahead of time to understand specifically what is it you can afford. If you're having a baby, it might be a little bit tight. So early days, you might not contribute right away. But they can put you on a plan to start thinking about, okay, maybe after year one, I can start putting tucking away a little bit at a time and then start increasing it. So highly recommend getting into an advisor as soon as you can, even before that baby comes and start talking about the various plans that you want to to look at investing. Yeah, in. yeah and I think people need to realize you can start with as little as $20 a week, right? It's not like you have to yeah. you have to give a lot. And, and then yeah. say say you're putting in $100 a month over 17 years, that's amounts to a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, and the grants in their eyes well too. So mm-hmm. again, it starts small because I think we get intimidated generally mm-hmm. speaking about oh my god, you know, I know I was really intimidated. You know, $80,000, how am I going to afford that, right? But you start small and it starts accumulating and uh and again, you know, you can continue to increase that as you go. Um and should parents or should parents not contribute? I guess the answer is? Well, you know, it's up to you. I mean, I yeah. guess every, it's a personal decision. Um, but I, I think that there's something to be said uh, in uh, having children also uh, pay for their education and be part of that partnership as well, too, mm-hmm. because it's it's their ownership as well. They learn life skills in how to manage money to save. Um, you know, we're really teaching them for when they get out there and, and be in there in the real world and they have to manage their own money. So I think my personal view is it's uh, it's a joint uh, joint partnership in education. But I think that's each individual has their own view on it. So, Dallas, where can people reach out and connect with you or someone from Meridian to continue this conversation or start another one? Yeah, absolutely. This? So check out our website, uh, meridiancu.ca. And uh, we have our branches located on there. You can just put in your location and, and have a branch closest to you and go in and talk to an advisor. They can help you plan ahead. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. This is what she said. Stay with us. What you are listening to is Working, the brand new single by Canada's own David Bray featuring Lorraine Reed. Welcome both of you to What She Said. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
Now, David, you just released your new album, Night Rains, but you actually weren't sure if you would be around to see it released in the first place after being diagnosed with colon cancer in 2016. Now you're cancer-free today. Did that experience give you a new perspective on life? Absolutely. Um, I'd been working over the last 10 years with a great lineup of people, Garth Hudson of the band, Bob Babbitt, legendary Motown player, uh, Kim Mitchell, Colin Linden, Jeff Healy, and a variety of others. And uh, over the past 10 years, I've I've recorded enough for three albums. <laughs> you know how it is. You, mm-hmm. you keep uh, editing and re-editing, etc. And when I came when I was diagnosed with cancer and had the surgery, they uh, I, that I determined. Well, now's the time. I would think, you know, it was it was it was a very difficult time. I even at one point had to break it to my children that I wasn't going to be around, and uh, that was a very difficult thing. But luckily, uh, it's gone well. I did have, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it's a little morose, but I did have epiglottitis as well, and I was in a coma for nine days. So very difficult, but it is is prompted me to go forward and release these three, the first of which is Night Rains. All right. Now, so Lorraine, I mean, a whole bunch of musical talent, including yourself. So what was it like working on this record for you? I've been working with David for much longer than a decade. And to be frank, I've done a lot of music. I have an extensive music background. And David probably has some of the best material that I've ever cut. Uh, Some of the things I listen back to, I cannot believe he got from me. So this process and being there from the beginning with David's sort of uh, philosophy about music and then helping him to bring that to fruition, it's been a real privilege. Well, we cannot wait to hear you both perform. We just want to remind all our listeners to follow us on social media at What She Said Talk. Uh, You can download our podcast Um, right now, performing Who Do You Turn To? Here are David Bray and Lorraine Reed. Who do you turn to when you're running in circles? Your days are a maze. Feels like there's no way out. Who do you turn to? When you're under fire and you're riddled with doubt, ah, where do you go when it's gone? And how do you follow the chase? Do you just pack up and move on? A take it case by case Who do you turn to When you're running in circles Your days are a maze Feels like there's no way out Who do you turn to When you're under fire And you're riddled with doubt just getting by has gotten the best of me. Oh, somehow I lost sight of all that I 
was meant to see. Ah, who do you turn to when you're running in circles? Your days are a maze. Feels like there's no way out. Who do you turn to when you're under fire and you're riddled with doubt? Some gamble on love or lotteries Count on politicians or God After all I've seen I'd have to say I don't like the odds Who do you turn to When you're running in circles Your day are amazed feels like there's no way out who do you turn to when you're under fire and you're riddled with doubt and you're riddled with doubt Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.